Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Are you setting yourself up for success, joy, and excellent and extraordinary outcomes based on the things you choose to focus on? For example, Can you choose to think like a champion? From the locker room to the boardroom, Dr. Amber Selking has dedicated much of her life's work to the power of mindset and leadership to drive lasting change in businesses, on athletic teams, and in individual lives. Amber has turned her knowledge of mindsets into a playbook that can bring awareness, choice, and focus into your life to help you make better life decisions. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, You can do it better by being better. Who we are drives what we do. A key takeaway from Amber's work is this. Our thoughts affect our emotions. Our emotions affect our physiological response. Our physiological response is what ultimately drives our behavior and therefore our performance. Bottom line, our thoughts and our mindsets determine how we show up for life. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Amber Selking. Dr. Amber Selking, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Thank you so much. Excited to be here with you today. I am too. I uh, There's only one, or actually there's two people that, that have known that I've been trying to get you on the show for like the last year plus. One <laughs> of them is my wife, Teresa, who that's how I initially uh, found you like years ago. Um, she was listening to some seminar webinar that you were talking about and the think like a champion sign or today (laughs) sign was right behind you. Like it is today. And she's like, Paul, you've got to find out about this, this woman. And I'm like, okay. And then, um, my, my neighbor, who's a huge Notre Dame fan, he's known that I've been trying to get you on the, on the show for a while too. So I'm, uh, awesome. I'm glad it well, finally worked out. I, yeah, I appreciate your patience and uh, persistence here. It's, it's uh, as you can imagine, the the days and years or months go very quickly and get a little crazy. So again, thanks for your patience. I'm excited to be here and finally yeah. dive in together. No, it's funny that you mentioned that because when when I was first somebody when I, I one of the first people I told when I was having triplets or uh, when we found out we we're having triplets, uh, the guy said. Be careful because the days are long and the years are short. Mm. And I think that's been the truest truism of parenting that I've come across in the, I guess, almost 11 and a half years I've been a father now. So it's, it's been, it's been crazy. So. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they go by quick. That's for sure. So I, I think the best place to start is for, to walk you, our audience through your background and how you came into the field of sports psychology. And I'm, and everybody knows that at least listens to the show on a regular basis knows I'm a big Notre Dame fan. So it's like a real 
thrill and honor to have you on. So um, why don't we start there with like your background? Give us our audience a little bit of, of knowledge on who you are and, and how you came to be in this field of sports psychology. Yeah. You know, so I'll start with, you know, what gets me really excited about life is, is, um, seeing people find new layers of who they are and, and the strength and power and courage that is inside of them to do hard things and do big and do important things, big or small, but like important things that, that matter and to not shy away from that. And so, you know, I was, I I grew up in a small town in Northeastern Pennsylvania. Um, I grew up in a McDonald's franchise family business. And so uh, with, with a dad who uh, his, it was his first job when he was 14 was working at McDonald's and it was his dream to own his own one day. And so to see that American dream come to fruition and the hard work and dedication and persistence that that took was really awesome to witness. Uh, my mom was an extension agent for 20 years in Ohio before she helped my dad, you know, run the businesses. And so she is just a master at youth development. And so really blessed to be raised under her tutelage, if you will. Uh, and then I was a soccer player. So I was an athlete and my faith was really important to me and academics were really important to me. And so I grew up in this small town and, you know, we had one stoplight and more cows than humans um, raising livestock and playing soccer and going to church and going to school. And, um, you know, was very blessed to see at a young age. We didn't have a lot of ethnic diversity in my small rural community. Uh, but again, all those different um, spaces that I grew up in allowed me to see like very diverse types of people and types of work. And one thing was consistent. They were really good people in every single one of those spaces that worked really hard and found a layer of excellence. And in every one of those, there were jerks and people that didn't work hard and were pretty mediocre. Um But again, you know, I think I was that kid in junior high that got the basketball team together and we did our goal setting and, you know, read quotes together and all gave each other nicknames so we could have a cool year and make hoodies and all that stuff. So I was doing sort of this team development, identity development stuff before I even really knew that it was a thing. Like those those two children's books behind me, um, those are actually books that I wrote in fifth and sixth grade. And it's about this little bee that had a dream to become queen. And, uh, but she was handicapped. She had a bent antenna, so she couldn't do it. And, and yet she got this wisdom from all these, you know, farm animals that, that taught her how to be gritty and to set goals and to have courage. And so uh, it's been, and then I went to Notre Dame to play soccer and um, got cut after my freshman year because my knees didn't come back the way they wanted it to. And so I went through my, my athletic identity crisis at a relatively young age. And, um, that, you know, thankfully I stayed at Notre Dame and didn't transfer and play anywhere, but I led Notre Dame Christian athletes, um, during the rest of my time there thinking that was just my way to ease my ego out of sport. But, um, you know, what I found is that when I went to corporate America, I was like, man, my heart is still in athletics. And I also noticed a very similar dynamic in business as I did in sport people that were really, really good, but didn't really work that hard. And so they weren't great. And then people that maybe weren't as good, but worked really, really hard, which was me and uh, always seemed to outkick their coverage. And I was like, man, what is it about human high performance? And can we really teach people how to be great from a scientific standpoint, not just from like a think positive, be courageous, et cetera, which is what little zip those books were all about, you know, zip the B. And, um, 
And so that's what really led me to find the field of sports psychology. And I went back to grad school, I have a master's and a PhD in applied sports psych. And so I realized now that my heart is still in, in business and in sport. So I get to work from the locker room to the boardroom, really helping people understand the power of mindset and leadership to unleash performance excellence for themselves, for their team, for their organization. And, um, and so th- those are the, I, I guess, a little bit of my life story connected with what gets me really excited about doing what I get to do every day. Well, you probably didn't realize this, but we probably have a lot more in common than you thought because I grew up uh, in rural Michigan and one side of my family uh, farmed and the other side didn't. But then I had this extension of a family in in, uh, Wisconsin that I would go and spend my summer vacations milking cows on a dairy farm. So I totally get the the whole farming aspect of, of, of life. Um, And but you know, there's your 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 pursuit or ambition at such a young age. I can relate to as well because um, you know I think I planned on going to Notre Dame since I was in you know sixth, seventh, eighth grade. My I remember my aunt and uncle took me there when I was uh, seven or eight years old, and uh, that was going to be the place for me. And then to get rejected not only once but twice, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was a real blow and. Um, I had no idea what I was going to do. I, I didn't have a backup plan, which is kind of ironic because today I talk to families about, okay, what their kids' backup plans are if they don't get into such and such school because um, of, of, of having that experience. Um, I think where I would like to go next is you have just released, released this phenomenal book. And I think that's going to be kind of the, the meat and potatoes of what we could talk about today. Um, building championship mindsets. And obviously that's the name of your podcast as well. And we'll, we'll put links in the show notes. Um, so let me start there is, and I know this is a big question off the get go, but how do you build, begin to build a championship mindset? Yeah. You know, I, I think, and what does that mean to you? So, yeah. You know, to me, so so I, a mindset is sort of a buzzword right now, but what people need to know is that a mindset is an actual protein pattern that is wired into your brain and actually changes the form and function of your brain and how it operates. And so the, the lay analogy that I use is that a mindset is like an Instagram filter, right? You can have one picture and depending on if you put a lo-fi filter over it or a black and white filter over it, it changes the experience of the picture. And the same is true with our mind when we, when we, our mindsets change our experience of the world, it either amplifies the color and makes everything, you know, look interesting and curious with opportunity or or, you know, that mindset that you have towards the world might be one of fear or insecurity or anxiety or depression. And, and so it shades how we view and experience the, the world around us. And so um, to me, a championship mindset are protein patterns that allow us to operate in life at the way that a champion would. And, and what is that? What is a champion? I mean, a champion is somebody who dedicates themselves over time towards a goal, um, sacrifices that, that in, that gets to relish in successes and in failures, um, but navigates those failures differently. It's really a person that thinks right about everything going on in their world. And that's what we want to try to help people build. Um, again, are these mindsets that allow them to navigate the realities of life, which are challenging and real and often convoluted and, you know, wrought with emotion in a way that a champion would. So where did, 
where did the idea for the book come from? And, and walk us through that journey because I've had some, some authors on um, that have had some great success and they've kind of laid out that it's, it's a grind writing a book. I don't think anybody really knows <laughs> how difficult a, a chore that is without actually having gone through it themselves. Yeah, you know, the, the, the book is actually a program that I built back in 2013 that I've been working with clients, individual clients and teams um, in applying. And so the Notre Dame football team is one of those teams that we've applied this program for. It's a, it's a mental performance playbook. So I got to copy the book. There we go. Um, you know, it's called Winning the Mental Game, the playbook for building championship mindsets. And so this is really a playbook. And, and this was, again, created when I first started working with clients. Um, they would come to me and they'd be like, you know, I, I want to work on my focus. And so we'd be about three sessions in. I'm like, man, you don't really have a focus problem. You've got an awareness problem. And because you're not aware, it's really hard to focus on what's important in the moment. Or they'd be like, you know, I want to work on my confidence. And about three sessions in, I'm like, Ah, you don't really have a confidence problem. You have an emotional control problem. And because you don't know how to manage your emotions, it's really hard to be confident at the moment of execution. And so it really forced me to take a step back and say, okay, well, what goes into a solid mental game and, and how can we teach people in a sequential manner, how their brain works, how it impacts, how they show up, and then really equip them with tools and strategies to train their brain just like they train their bodies or just like they train their craft. And so I've, again, I've been applying this program and to see the impact that it's had on people's lives and on teams. Um, I knew one day I wanted to turn it into a book and then 2020 happened and uh, two things, one, all the fun stuff got canceled. And so we had more time at home and I was like, well, now's the time. Um, but then two, 2020 was so sad to me to see all the division in our world, you know, in the, in the U S it was a, an election year. And so there's this stark division of Republican or Democrat. And then we've got this social injustice conversation that, that needs to be had, but became very much black and white. Um, and then COVID. And so it was like mask and no mask and just this stark division and humans aren't created for division. They're created for community and then and, and actual isolation, you know, and so, and to see the impact that that had on people, on families, suicide was up 200% in our country with kids. And, and so to me, this was the time to write the book because more people need to be able to know that they can control their minds. They can manage their mindsets. And as many things as are outside of our control, the number one thing that drives our ability to show up as a better version of ourselves, as a healthy human being, as a contributing member of society is in our control. And it's our thoughts and it's our mindsets. And so this book is really intended to, to break the mental game down for people into consumable bites and help them understand the science behind it. Again, don't, don't be worried. It's just brain science. It's not, I always say it's just brain science. It's not rocket science. And we all have a brain. And so a lot of times when we learn the science, it's more like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, this is written to share some of that science, but also give practical application on how we can incorporate this into our lives. Having having gotten through the book, actually, I just finished it last night, awesome. which was incredible. There's there's a couple of things I want to take away and unpack there. First is that the way that you laid it out is is a playbook, but it's sequential, and you just noted that too. Can you walk us through like why that's important? Like why it goes from 
there's a reason why play one is play one and why there's a reason play eight is play eight. Yeah. You know, um, so awareness is play number one and the, you know, yeah, and I want to get more into that in detail because yeah, you have to be aware before you enhance. And some people that like, you know, we, you want to jump straight to emotional control. Well, it's hard to get to emotional control if you're not even aware of what emotions you're having, or you're not aware of the thoughts that you're thinking and how those thoughts are impacting your emotions. And so awareness isn't a really sexy topic, but, um, it, it is sort of this foundational piece. And my clients, as they go through the program, they're like, Oh, now I know why we started with awareness. And, and then routines is number eight, because I want you to incorporate like everything that you learned in the first seven plays into your routines. And, and so that's sort of an example of how it's sequential in nature um, from, from my perspective on how things fit together. And, and as we learn and build on that learning, um, how we can apply it most effectively. So one of the other key takeaways, and you've talked about this a couple of times now is awareness. So I'm, I'm looking at my notes and I wrote down awareness, choice, and focus. Those seem to be repeated topics throughout the book. Can you expand on like why those seem, at least for me personally, seem to be like really core foundational pieces of the book. And then just like the overall work that you do when it comes to building, you know, a championship mindset. Yeah. You know, again, to me, awareness, everything starts with awareness and most humans are not aware of what is going on inside of them or outside of them. And so therefore we're just driven by how we're feeling that day or the things that are happening around us. And it's just this volatile life experience that sort of unfolds before us, if we will, versus, you know, really being aware of what's, what's happening and the dynamics that are at play. So we can be more intentional about it. Let me give you an example. So when I, uh, my husband and I, you know, first started living together, I was writing my dissertation and I am an incredibly extroverted person. And the dissertation process is like you and a computer. And thank God I had my dog because he, you know, rock Rockney Mulligan, actually named after the football coach in the Irish pub. Um, you know, he was like my homeboy, but Rock doesn't talk back. So by the time my husband got home, I was like, hi, hey, how was your day? What was the best thing that happened? What was the worst thing that happened? What'd you learn today? Blah, 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 blah. And he was like, whoa, crazy lady, <laughs> get away from me. And, you know, initially I was pissed because I was like, I've been here all day trying to get this stupid doctorate. And, you know, you come home and you don't even want to be with me, you know? And, you know, he's coming home and he's like, man, I've had this incredibly long day. And he's like right in the middle introvert, extrovert. So he's extroverted all day. And then he comes home and, you know, he just needs to breathe for a second. And so, you know, we were just pissy at each other for a couple days. And then one day he comes home and I'm sitting quietly at the kitchen counter. <laughs> he's like, he's like, Hey, I'm like, so I've been thinking today and he's like, Oh God. So he sits down and like, I was like, it struck me like what's happening. And I, it sort of dawned on me that this whole need of extroversion that I had was not being satiated at all. And in the time we were trying to become debt-free. And so, you know, I, it's not like I could just, I, I would feel bad if I, in grad school, I used to go to a wine bar and like sit there all day and read and like, write. But like, oh my God, I'd spend $14 and Aaron might die because, you know, and so I felt bad about even leaving the house and spending money. Cause he's maniacal. He was maniacal about getting us debt-free, which we are, which was amazing. I'm so grateful. 
Um, and so I just told him like, man, I have this awareness of what's happening and the tension it's creating. And, and all of a sudden it made sense to us. And so instead of just being mad at each other and allowing that to erode our relationships, we were able to understand the dynamic at play. And, and then I could respect him when he came home to give him that time to just recalibrate. And I was like, and he likes Manhattan. So here you go, babe. You know? <laughs> and, and then, and, but he knew like, Hey, you know, she's been working really hard differently and she needs to get out of the house and like be around a lot of people. And so we could honor each other in that. And I think that that's really what awareness does for us. I mean, that's in a relational context, but you can extrapolate that to any situation in your, in your life, in your world. And I think helping people, you know, a lot of my work in coaching and in consulting is just bringing really to the forefront and helping people see what's going on inside of them and outside of them. Because a lot of times we just attribute like he's a bad person or I'm a bad person to this moment versus like, Oh, it's just our personality types or, Oh, it's just because this is an emotionally charged game weekend. And so we have to understand the dynamics at play so we can navigate it better. So that's why awareness is, is a core. Before we go on to choice, any thoughts or questions on that piece? Well, actually, since you gave a, a great example of, of, of couples, and I know I, you know, probably the largest group of audience that, that listens to this are, are couples and partners. I know you do a lot of work with individuals and teams, but based on like what you just laid out in the example, like, do you see how, how would it, how would a partnership husband, wife, couple utilize something that you've developed in this playbook, if you will, to help, you know, their marriage. Like you just gave an example, like you and Aaron, you know, not opposite ends of the financial spectrum, if you will. But, you know, I encountered that a lot where, you know, one spouse or partner is a saver, the other one's the quote unquote spender. And I'm like that independent third party arbitrator that kind of gets them back together. Um, so a lot of my job is more, people don't realize that psychological than it is financial. Yeah. You know, I actually just did a, a podcast with an Australian company yesterday um, and he does like investment management and he made a statement. He said, people always show up to their investment strategy like who people are on the inside and their insecurities and their fears and their um, like drives show up in their investment strategies. And so, you know, to me, everything comes back to identity. Like, do we know who we are on the inside as individuals, but also as a couple and also as a team or an organization? And so one of the things that Aaron and I did early on was just create a vision statement, a mission statement, core values and standards of behavior for our marriage. And um, and so we have that on a little note on our iPhone and we just celebrate our fifth year anniversary uh, and and we pulled it out. And, and a lot of times we just review it when we're on a road trip. And so um, and that's helped guide us in terms of making decisions around, around it. And I knew that like being debt-free was critically important to him. And I'm not a spender. I just don't like love money. Like I literally used to pray for a man that was great at man managing money. And then I met Aaron and I <laughs> and was like, well, one. that's aggressive God. But, <laughs> um, but you know, now that we're debt-free, I was like, I'm going to get on board fast so that like we can get through this fast. And, and we did, and it's so liberating. And so, but we apply that to everything. Like he really cares that the toilet paper roll like comes over instead of under. I never even thought about that before I met the man. So like, why fight that? 
That's stupid. I, you know, and then like the dishwasher, I actually care which angle the forks, do they go up or do they come down, you know, with the silverware. And so we just made a decision early on that like, if the other one actually cares about something, just submit to it and move on because it's not worth the fight. Um, so, you know, I, the, the, what I've seen, I haven't done couples coaching or consulting at all, but I work a lot with leaders and I work a lot with coaches and then, and then obviously like subordinates and, and athletes to their coaches. And so a lot of times it's like really helping people just understand how the other person is wired and how or why they react and respond to the way that they do so that people take things less personally and can go at things a little bit more strategically. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because Teresa has, I think her favorite saying lately is like, pick, pick your battles, pick your battles. And that's like with me, it's with her, it's with our, with the four kids as well. Um, and that's because the one thing that I've realized, um, you know, and being in business on my own for a long time now is just that it's, it's different than when I had my corporate career going and, and likewise, Teresa and her corporate career where, if we if we just had that little bit more understanding and really empathy with each other, um, we'd have it, it would be even better than what it is today. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Mm-hmm. So let's um so let's pivot back. So we talked about awareness, and I think we're going to talk about choice. Yeah, you know, choice to me is where this all comes back to. I think a lot of times people don't know that they have a choice. Again, they feel like they're at the mercy of other people, of the environment, of the government, of and and there's pieces of it that we are. But how we operate in those environments is still up to us. And and we get to choose our thoughts. And and that's sort of a controversial topic in the psychology world of like, can you choose your thoughts? Can you control them? And I even say it in the book, like, I don't want to get into a whole debate on whether you can or can't, but the reality of it is we can't choose which thoughts come into our brain, right? We've all been driving down the road. We were just joking before we press record on the weather you're in Michigan and I'm in South Bend. Like, so when we get those rare, beautiful days where there's no cloud cover and it's just beautiful, we've all been driving down the road on those gorgeous days and some random thought comes out of nowhere and hits our brain. And we're like, where in the hell did that come from? You know? Um, so we can't control which thoughts come into our, our brain, but we do get to control what we do with those thoughts once we're aware of them, which goes back to awareness. And so what we know is that the brain and the mind are different. The brain is the two to three pound mass that we all have under our skull, but the mind is the spiritual side of being human. And that's not, you know, regardless of your religious connotation or not, this isn't a religious statement. A spirit is what makes humans different than a whale, than beautiful Rockney or a grasshopper. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so the mind is the spirit and it sort of hovers above the brain, if you will. And when those thoughts come in, it's the mind's job to take them captive to say, Hey, is this thought helpful? Is this, is this um, aligned with who I want to be or what I want to accomplish? And if it's not, we just release it and replace it with a different way of thinking. And a lot of people get stuck because they're like, okay, just don't think about X. And then like three seconds later, it's like like an annoying little brother and it's back in your brain. And you're like, what the heck? I just said, don't think about it. But the brain actually sees in pictures and it doesn't have a picture for the word don't. It only has a picture for what you're saying. And so 
what we actually have to do is, is remove that thought, but again, replace it with something with a better thought, with a more productive thought, with a healthier thought. And that's really, that's the choice that we have moment by moment by moment by moment throughout the course of our day. You know, humans have about 70 to 80,000 thoughts a day. And so we have the choice to, to hold on to certain thoughts, to release certain thoughts, to engage thoughts, or to just let some thoughts go. And um, and that's that's really why choice keeps getting threaded through all of that. You know, whether you're talking about emotional control or attentional control, um, or you know, you're talking about mental rehearsal or routines. Like it's all about making a choice to engage in in things that we know will make us better and and position us for success, whatever domain you're in, right? Whether that's sport or business or parenting or you know whatever you're doing. So kind of as a follow-up to that, one of the notes I had is, was how to best handle distractions and, and manage distractions. Because like when, you, when you're in the throes of it and you're trying to make the best choice, especially in today's age, there's, there's a lot of noise, a lot of you know, distractions. How do, you, how do you make, how do you mold or mirror, not mirror, but how do you, transition from being able to make choices and not being distracted. How, how do you manage to not being able to make choices? And not being distracted? I mean, I think it's, it goes back to awareness of in the moment, like what are you trying to accomplish and what's important in that moment? And then choosing to direct your attention onto what's important now versus the distracting thing. So um, in, in let's take football, for example, you know, like you, you can't control the weather. So that's a distraction. You can't control the ref. That can be a distraction. You can't control the crowd. That's a distraction. Um, sometimes you can't control your coach that can be a distraction. Um, and so, so you have to recognize moment by moment, what are the rel- what's the relevant information in front of me and what's the irrelevant information. And then direct your attention to what's important in that moment. And, and good things can be distractions. Like if you just make a huge play, that can be distracting because you got to go back and do it again. And so it's like, how quickly can we reset and refocus and direct our attention to what's important versus the distractions that are in the airspace? And so we say a lot that, you know, the enemy is not the other team. It's not the weather. It's not the ref. The enemy is distraction. And again, when we know what we're fighting, it's a lot easier to fight. So what's distracting us from our goals? What's distracting us from a a more intimate relationship with our partner? What's distracting us from having, um, you know, from getting that work done that's on our list to do, um, you know, and, and can you focus instead on what's important in the moment? Is it, cause I, I'm, I'm, my question was going to be, how do you, is it better to like say those things out loud to, to, as a, as a way to, um, spark that internal thought of, of actually identifying what distractions there are? Yeah, totally. Whether you write it down or like actually think about it, like sometimes like, oh yeah, there's distractions, but like, what, what are the things that are distracting you? And then what is important now in the moment and then choose to direct your attention to these things that are important and leave these things over here. And, and then your mind might drift. So just bring it back. And then your mind might drift and just bring it back. And every time we bring it back, you're training your brain to focus better. 
And really that's what meditation is. Meditation is attentional control training and learning to direct your attention where you want it to be versus all of the inputs that we have in our world today. Meditation is also like, sometimes we're like, I'm not even aware of my thoughts because our mind and our brain is like almost stuck together because of the pace at which we operate. And meditation really just brings that gap up a little bit so that we can start to be aware of those thoughts that we're having and then really start to mold and direct and redirect what's going on with those thoughts. Okay. So kind of as I, as we kind of wrap up on, God, I'm like looking at time. Like I know I only have you for a finite period of time. So um, if I circle back to the the playbook, what would be a, a one or two, three things that would be the best way to practice actually implement the, the, the playbook itself? I know that the great thing about how you laid it out is at the end of each play, you give some champion mindset training, mm-hmm. um, which is great. Uh, is there, is there a best way or best practice, if you will, to utilize the playbook? Yeah. I, I mean, ideally, right. You go through the whole playbook and you apply it sequentially because that's what actually lays the foundation. But at the end of the day, you know, our self-talk is really important. So what are we saying to ourselves? And are those the, the, are the things that we're saying to ourselves helping us be the best person that we can be and accomplish the things we want to accomplish? Um, and then the, the other one is just our breath and learning how to use our breathing in a way that can slow our cognitive processing down and help reset our central nervous system. And so, you know, between self-talk and the breath, like if I had to give anybody something to, to start becoming aware of and using those would be probably two really powerful tools. The other, the other thing that we, we hadn't touched on was, um, your, your firm, Selking Performance, can you walk through the type of work that you do and, and who you work with um, on that side of the business? Yeah. So I have a, a team of performance coaches. So if anybody reaches out for individual performance work, whether that's a, a coach, a leader, or a, a student athlete, um, we've got a team of awesome professionals that, that we pair them with to do. And most of them are Zoom because they're every, people are sort of around the country that we work with. Um, and so there, and then I have a, a licensed clinical sports psychologist on staff too. So we, I'm not a licensed psychologist. I don't do clinical work. I do performance work. And the analogy I always use is like the difference between the weight room and the training room. You know, you go to the weight room to get bigger, faster, stronger. So you spend less time in the training room. Um, and so I'm in the way I'm sort of the weight room of the brain. And then a clinical sports psychologist would be like the training room for the brain. And if you're an athlete, you know, a lot of times you're in both, you're in the weight room and the training room. And, uh, it's, but our hope is to minimize that the, the depth of the, the training room, but we do have an, an incredible woman on our staff. Um, if there are clinical needs that exist. And then, um, so, so we do that one-on-one work. Um, the, the, you know, teams that, that we work with, we have a limited number of teams that we do, um, performance, mental performance coaching with. And then, um, mainly what I do is keynote speaking. And then we have the podcast. So I I do a lot of keynotes for organizations, um, just around the power of mindset and how that drives performance excellence. So, you know, I also, I'm, I work full-time as a vice president of leadership and culture for a global publicly traded manufacturing company. And so, um, that's just an incredible opportunity opportunity to really bring these concepts into uh, the business space and how do we think about people development and culture development. 
So my, my final question is we kind of wrap up our conversation is, is typically I ask uh, what the best thing about being a parent is. And I know that, that you and Aaron don't have kids yet. I, and I think that's the keyword yet. Um, so let me kind of pivot that. And I know that, that you guys have a really, uh, you know, special relationship marriage, if you will. So let me ask you this question. What is the best thing about being married to Aaron? Oh, I did. This is just a funny side note. He's hilarious, first of all. So I did this like Facebook live on my book launch and I asked people to submit questions and he uh, submitted the question, why is your husband such a stud? And I was <laughs> like, thanks, babe. So I answered that live. Um, the best part about me and being married to Aaron is like, he's like my best friend. And I know that's so cliche, but we didn't meet until I was 29 and he was 27. And, you know, I always thought I would marry my best friend. And then you get to like 25 and you're like, well, shoot, I know all my best friends and I'm not marrying any of you fools. <laughs> and so like, I was a little bit disappointed because in this day and age, like, how do you really meet somebody and like, feel like, you know, somebody, but you know, we've been married for five years and we know we've known each other for six years. So it happened pretty quickly because I literally like my spirit felt like I had known him. And so it's just, um, it's like really cool being married to somebody who we are very similar. Um, I I always joke, like he's like the male and calmer version of me. (laughs) which, which is uh, really fun to just do life with someone like that. Um, and then, you know, again, we, I, I think we're good at forgiving each other and, um, you know, getting back to making greatness. We've got a marry like a champion today sign <laughs> in our bedroom. So that's our, that's our game plan every day. <laughs> that That is awesome. Well, um, I, I make this offer to a lot of people, so I'll make the same to you. So if you ever want to give kids a test run, um, I can ship my four kids down to South Bend and uh, you, you and Aaron can practice for a long weekend. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I'll keep you posted. <laughs> well, Amber, I can't thank you enough for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. We will definitely put um, links in the show notes to uh, the book and to your podcast as well, which I listen to every week. It's it's terrific. And um, I, I can't thank you enough for all the great work that you've done. I I, I feel like I've known you for a long time, just like listening and, and reading your work. And it's been uh, uh, fabulous, fabulous just to have you on, on the show. So thank you very well, much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your support and for your encouragement. You know, we're all um, trying to be a light in this world and it's awesome to meet other professionals like you that are being intentional about trying to bring that to the world and help others. So thanks for your support and thanks for everything that you do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.